This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give a call if you have any questions about your plants, your house plants, the outdoor plants, whatever. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And Mr. Kelly, yes. you got big Thanksgiving plans for watching football and all that stuff? Well, I don't watch the NFL anymore. So if I get really, really bored and like all, the, I watch all of the old hockey games I have on tape. Oh my goodness! Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, we're having uh, my my stepdaughters are coming over, and so we're going to have a, a special turkey. We're getting it from Max Local Eats, so it's all it's wholesome turkey. So it's, it's already be good. been cooked. No, we're going to cook it ourselves. Oh, really? Yeah, she she talked to the guy the other day, emailed him, and said, "Now, do you cook this or do we cook this?" He goes, "Oh no, you cook it. Oh yeah, you cook it." So I think I'm picking up today after work, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, so it's going to be really good, and uh, yeah, we're just going to hang out, the four of us, and might have to talk. I don't know. Oh. What do you do if you don't watch football on Thanksgiving? I not sure. watch old hockey games. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So what are you doing? Uh, I'm just going to relax and take it easy pretty much. Yeah, good. I have, I work that morning. I get to work that morning. Oh. Yeah, I'll be on Total Information AM. So I invite you to start your Thanksgiving with us. Whoa. Yeah. That sounds wild. <laughs> I don't know if wild's the right word, but oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Thanks, Brian. You bet. It is Saturday morning, and we get together, and we have a discussion about what's going on in your landscape, your yard, and your house plants, of course. And uh, you ask questions about, do I need to do this now? Should I do this now? Should I do that now? What's happening here? What's happening there? And uh, I'll share the information that I've kind of compiled in my head or whatever for a long time. So anyway, my thoughts will hopefully help you orchestrate and solidify options, and then the final judgment is going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car, wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is Alex. He's here producing. He answers the phone, pushes all the buttons and everything else. So when you call, Alex just needs your name, and that's pretty much it. And, oh, and my Mike Miller. I've been doing the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, and I call it a walk and talk. If you want me to come to your home and take a look around, 
you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. This past week, I was at a home in Webster. Great home, but uh, they had some landscape done real recently, but it is overplanted. And another you know problem there was, some of the things that were planted underneath the electric or power lines or phone lines were going to get too tall and it was going to cause problems. So that's the kind of stuff that I said. And, you know, the trees, they had a lot of several large trees. They'd had many of them, ta- a lot of them taken out, but there were still quite a few. And I told them, I said, these trees are going to have an impact on these plants as well. And that's what the problem is a lot of times. People think it's shade, and shade does impact the plant material, but uh, the root systems have a bigger impact on the plant material than the actual shade factor because there's plenty of plants that are shade tolerant that still do not do well underneath trees because of the tree root system. And uh, the Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Oh, and I stopped by by St. Louis Composting, the Valley Park location, this past week and got some, uh, let's see, black forest vines. That's what I'm going to use for uh, on top of my pots that I have planted with my bulbs, hyacinths and tulips. And tradition, that's what this is all about, Thanksgiving. And I thought, hmm, what would be something that's really traditional where I could take my good gardening stroll? I thought, click, that's it. So I headed out to a place that was founded in 1779. You know where that is. That's Soulard's Farmer's Market. So Thanksgiving equals good food, and that means shopping for your favorite foods, traditional or cutting-edge varieties. And how about checking out this historic farmer's market? There's a limestone wall which embraces the uh, playground, and there's a little roadway that gives vendor access. There's several different little roads that give vendor access. There is a ginkgo tree, a street tree, that is still holding on to probably 90-plus percent of its yellow golden leaves. And it really looked nice. And then nearby, uh, there was some wonderful evergreens. Yeah, the conifers. They're really starting to show their muscles because a lot of the deciduous trees have now become bare. There was actually music filling the air. I, you know, And a sign read, vegetable, <laughs> vegetable abundant. There was a bakery there that had German rye and homemade pies. And uh, there was sweet potatoes and gourds and decorative corn, ornamental kale in pots. There was pasta. There was gloves and hats and live chickens and two turkeys. that You could buy some, some seed or corn. I don't know exactly what it was at a little machine, like a gumball machine. And then you could feed the chickens. So that was kind of you know, neat and fun. There was fruit and vegetables. There was a butcher. There was chocolate. There was eggs. There was candy. There was walnuts and pecans. And there was a banner, banners above each of the kind of vendor areas, which tells you which each vendor was. There was firewood and Osage or oranges. And then just really kind of a cool thing. And a gentleman was there. He was setting up, and his, his, his name of his, he's a musician. So he plays, sits there on actually uh, 7th Street and plays music at, right at the entrance, one of the entrances to uh, the Soulard Farmer's Market. And his, his, he's called Ravenwood, and it's spiritual jazz in a St. Louis tradition. And it's healing music, recording 
And it's just, it's really, he, I didn't hear him. He wasn't quite set up yet, but I could tell by his enthusiasm that he was really going to be fantastic. And he gets to do this probably every weekend. I don't know if he does it Saturday and Sunday both, but uh, his again, it's Raven Wolf. That's not his real name, but that's what he calls his, his music and spiritual jazz. So that was what I did for the Good Guarding Stroll tradition as Thanksgiving is. Nothing can be more traditional in St. Louis than a market that started in 1779. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your yard or landscape, I know there's lots of other stuff going on today, but you can give us a call. There's phone lines open, 314 436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And uh, another thing, as I was, you know, as I wander around the yard always, and uh, boy, those cool season, you know, annual weeds, man, they are just going nuts. We've had a couple frost days earlier. I mean, I forget exactly when it was, several weeks ago, where the frost was actually on the lawn and on the car windows and everything else. And the frost the last two nights we've had is hasn't been on the ground. It's only been on the car windshields and stuff like that. But these cool season annual weeds, the hen bit, it is just, I mean, it's going nuts. But the one that's going the craziest is the chickweed. It is like unbelievable how fast it's spreading. And I go out and I pull at certain areas. You know, I don't use too many herbicides, not because I hate them or I'm afraid of them or anything. I just want to see what's going on normally in my yard, and that just, you know, that just kind of helps me out a little bit. But the chickweed, I can't keep up with that. I pull it, and then I go back to that same spot. In the, so what these annual cool season weeds do is they grow while it's really cold. They don't care how cold it actually gets. And then they drop seeds, and then that seed pretty much lays there all through the summertime until mid to late August, and then it starts germinating, and then it just keeps going and going and going for about another six months. But the chickweed is by far the most prolific this year, more so than some of the other ones, which historically have kind of been in the same circumstance, like the the Persian speedwell. And that was an, you know another one and some of the spurges too. But anyway... Uh, let's, why don't we go to the phone? Marcella, Marcella, how are you today? Oh, my hibiscus, uh, uh, plant is, uh, of course dead. It's <laughs> all I got on it now is the dead uh, seeds at the top of the, of the plant. Uh, I was wondering when should I cut that back? Uh, basically, you're you're not going to get much from the seed anyway. So are we talking about a hollyhock? Is that what we're talking about? That hibiscus, or is it with the, like the disco bell, the huge, you know, tr- uh, perennial type hibiscus? Yeah, it's a big round of flower. Okay. Yeah, so that's a, probably a disco bell. Uh, whenever you decide that you know you just don't like looking at them, you can cut them at those that time. So they don't have really much aesthetic value. But some people like to leave them and see what's going to happen as a result of the seeds dropping. Generally, they're not going to germinate because of most of the time they're grown in an area either that's kind of wet because they can handle the wet 
and the seeds can't handle that, though, or where there's mulch on top of the ground, and then when the seeds land on the mulch, it generally that prevents it, uh, the seed from germinating. So Okay, that's, that's fine. Well, listen, thank you very much, and you have a nice day and a happy Thanksgiving. Sure, you do the very same thing. Okay, and, bye. Bye. And now let's head over to Peggy's yard. Hi, Peggy. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I'm interested in finding out about how to treat um, an olive house plant, olive tree house plant. I'm babysitting this plant for my daughter, and I don't know anything about it. I don't know how often to water it uh, or what kind of sunlight it needs or anything. It needs to have as much bright light as possible, so that's really important. How big is it, by the way? Uh, probably two feet tall. Yeah, so it's pretty young. But anyway, yeah. so bright, you know, bright light all day long. And the olives just in general, even where they historically grow or where they use them as street trees in Southern California and places like that, where there's very little, you know, water. So you want to make sure that you do not overwater. So even though you can look at the soil, you watch the potting mix shrink away from the inside of the pot, still let it go a little bit longer before you water. And then water it pretty thoroughly, but then let it go, you know, I mean, time-wise, it's a little bit difficult to say, but I would say probably no water more than, like, maybe once a month. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so even though it's dropping leaves, I should still let it dry out. Yeah, because, I mean, the dropping leaves have nothing to do with the fact that it is, uh, let's say, the soil happens to be dry. Because you start watering, it's going to be dropping more and more and more. So consequently, okay. the leaf drop is just a result of it really doesn't like to be a house plant. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, and one other question. I was doing a little research on it, and it said something like, coffee grounds might aid uh, that. Is that an old wives' tale, or is it because of acidity, or what? Yeah, it's the acidity factor, but hopefully whoever she got it from, you know, put it in an, you know, an acidic-type potting mix. So you could do the coffee grounds if you want to, but it's not going to really be, it's not going to help all that much. But if you want to look at coffee grounds on top of the soil, then that's fine. <laughs> Thank you so much. Sure. I appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy Thanksgiving. Same to you. And th happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And if you do have any questions, we got the phone lines clear and open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, how about some my one of my favorite you know foods at Thanksgiving happens to be sweet potatoes. And Tracy and I were at a store the other day, and we were looking at uh, all the sweet potatoes. We picked out a couple for you know ourselves. But I saw something that I never ever seen before, and they were called Japanese sweet potatoes, and they were like purple, and they were huge. And I was really tempted to say, hmm, wonder if I should try a Japanese sweet potato. And then I thought, nah, I'm going to stay traditional. But I should have just bought one anyway just to cook it and see what, if it tasted any different or anything else. So, But I didn't do that. So, But I may go back and get them. But, I mean, they were, they were huge. They were almost like the size of a softball, you know, in relationship to the normal ones. And the sweet potato in general, it, guess what? It's a member of the same family as the morning glory, which most of those plants in that family, the convalesiae, uh, are vine-type plants. So, I mean, I was, you know, I, I guess I had just forgotten that they were in the same family as the morning glories. But uh, 
and it contains, there's like 60 different genera in that family and 1,600 species in the same family as the uh, sweet, as a sweet potato, no, as a morning glory. And sweet potatoes are, thought, are really thought to be native to the tropical South America, where they'd been used as a food source for up to, I don't know how they come up with this, but like 5,000 years. And this information is all provided by the University of Missouri Extension Service. They sent out a, you know, I guess it's not really a newsletter, but it focuses on particular things. And the the exact origin of the tradition of eating sweet potatoes on Thanksgiving as part of the menu, it's not really sure. But much of the credit was given to a writer, activist, and influential editor, Sarah Josepha Hale. She was a staunch advocate of the creation of Thanksgiving as a national holiday. And Hale wrote letters to a number of presidents that were prayer. They were presidents before Lincoln was. And that included Taylor, Fillmore, Pierce, and Buchanan. And no success on making Thanksgiving a national holiday. However, a letter she sent to President Lincoln in 1863, that convinced him to support the legislation establishing Thanksgiving as a national holiday. And there's some more information I'm going to share with uh, you a little bit later on related to uh, sweet potatoes. But it's kind of incredible, that, you know, the whole sweet potato story. But anyway, so that's how the Thanksgiving became a national holiday, thanks to President Lincoln in 1863. That This lady, Mrs. or Miss Hale, Mrs. Hale, sent a letter after he was the fifth president. She had you know, said, we need to get this to be a national holiday and worked out. So let's head back to the phones and let's go over to Cindy's yard. Hi, Cindy. Hi. Hi. I was just wondering, I have some hydrangeas and um, I've read that they bloom on the, some of them bloom on the old wood. So should I not cut them back or? Basically, if they bloom on the old wood, that means this particular variety blooms in the summertime. Or, I mean, sorry, this, you know, this blooms in the springtime as opposed to summertime. So if you prune them now, you're basically eliminating the possibilities of having flowering next spring. Okay, okay, so don't cut them back. Yeah, don't cut them back. Wait, and if you want to do some pruning, wait till after they flower and then prune them on at that time. Now, if they were summer bloomers, so in other words, they bloomed on new wood growth that happens you know, that, you know, that spring as opposed to in followed by the summer where they're going to flower, then you can prune them now. But the ones that, you know, you probably have PG hydrangea or, you know, one of the other varieties that is a spring bloomer. Okay. I can't remember what, what kind it was. Um, I do have another question, if I can ask, sure. about my lawn. Um, I have an area, um, it's probably about a half an acre that the weeds are just growing you know, wild, but I want to seed it and try to get it, you know, um, ready for the spring. So can I, if I seed it in the fall, can I still put like crabgrass preventer no. in the spring on it? <laughs> well, in the spring, yeah, you could do that. But basically, you, I mean, putting seed down this late in the season, you're going to be wasting your time and energy and money both. So it's okay. a little bit too okay. late to do it. So in the spring... Do my uh, uh, crabgrass and then seed after that. Right, 
basically, okay. yeah, get the pre-emergent, get it, all that stuff killed off as much as possible. Don't rush to put the grass seed down because the ground is still pretty darn cold in this the time of year. Certainly it's going to be cold when you put the pre-emergent down. But that's when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. But uh, you want to wait until probably mid to late April, if not early May, before you put any seed down. And that's going to be well past the time when the, the pre-emergent would have an impact. But also that's a time when the ground's warm enough that it's actually going to cause a seed to germinate. Okay. So I always read like six weeks or so after the pre-emergent. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Sure. My have a pleasure. Great day. Uh-huh. And let's see, why don't we go ahead and take a break? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, we're going to be taking the calls. We've got several people lined up here. and uh, But another thing, an interesting aside related to sweet potatoes. Uh, at a time, a lot of those, let's say the... The interest in sweet potatoes can be credited to the renowned African-American agricultural scientist. You know who that is, George Washington Carver. He's always thought of as being in the peanut world. Of course he was, but uh, he was born here in uh, Diamond, Missouri, and he's best known for his work with peanuts. However, he's also had a keen interest in sweet potatoes, and he's credited with developing over 125 diverse products from the sweet potato, including dyes, wood fillers, candies, paste, breakfast foods, starches, flowers, and molasses. So this guy, he was just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, it's just so George Washington Carver was part of the reason why sweet potatoes got more and more and more popular. And it wasn't for necessarily eating. Some of it was, but it was from all these other products that he actually developed from sweet potatoes. Let's head over to Kathy's yard now. Hi, Kathy. Hello. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have a 40 to 50-year-old ash tree in my front yard, and I um, was wondering it would be okay if I could trim it, about a third of it down. Uh, it's getting kind of long and lanky. My tree guy said... Don't bother to trim it now. It'll be dead within three years with all the ash ash trees will be gone. <laughs> well, I mean, to make that prediction, but I would say that to cut it back a third, that's kind of severe. What that does is that's going to reduce by a huge amount the number of leaves that are there. And the trees need leaves to be able to survive. That's why, you know, topping things too much they have no leaves, and so then they're just, they get starved because the nutrients and moisture come up from the soil, and they go up into the leaves, and the leaves then use sunlight to make chlorophyll, and that's food for themselves. So if you reduce the amount of leaves, then it just it's sort of starving them. But to say the okay. tree is going to be dead in three years, I mean, it could be, but it could, they could, it could survive. He said he wanted to save me some money, um, but it, it's so long and lanky at the top. That I was in, I thought, oh, maybe it'd look better if I trimmed it. I don't think it's not going to change the look all that much. I would say, you know, if you do want to have it pruned, certainly you can get it pruned. It will cost money. There's no doubt about it. But uh, I would say, I would go ahead and get it pruned. Okay, I treat it every year um, in the spring. I just wondered if that would help save it. 
Uh, what are you treating it for? Um, let me think. The Bayer stuff uh, for ash borer. Oh, emerald ash borer. Yeah. I mean, uh, it, could, it certainly helps. There's no getting around it. So, I mean, uh, it gets virtually in the system. The emerald ash borer basically goes into the tree in the lower part of the bark. So, or, or, or okay. lower part of the trunk, the last, you know, from a, from ground level up to about three to four feet, that's where you're going to see the ash borer holes going into the tree. So that's, you know, where the problem is. And then, they you know, what they do is just cut up all the veins and the, then no nutrients or moisture can come up from the veins or the roots up and through the veins to the top to where the leaves are. So I would say just keep doing it. Okay. I appreciate your time. Thank sure. you. My pleasure. And let's head now over to Jen's. Hi, Jen. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I brought in my Christmas cactuses like I do every year, and I have three of them that have 52 buds on them. They're just absolutely beautiful. Wow. And I would like to know, do I feed them? They've been outside under my deck. And I just, they had water, water, water all summer. Right. Now, do I continue to let them dry and or water, or do I, how do I feed them? Oh, they're just so beautiful, I just can't believe it. Yeah, you're lucky. Most people don't have them re, or bud up and then flower. But, yeah, I mean, they're, you know, they're cactus, and we always think of cactus as being from deserts. But these are tropical cactus. So they don't necessarily want to go really dry, but so, I mean, evenly moist but not swampy. And uh, you could, if you're going to use some fertilizer, you could certainly do it when they're, you know, I mean, at the time when a plant is flowering, that's the most stressful time. So consequently, this would be the time when you want to flower or want to feed them and you want to get a cactus mix at your favorite garden center and feed them with the cactus mix. Okay. I really thank you, they're just absolutely beautiful. I've never had them this beautiful before. <laughs> it sounds spectacular, and they are. I, I mean, they're one of my favorite, you know, this time of year plants. So that's great. Maybe you should invite me over to look at them. No, I'm kidding you. Sure, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Thank thanks. you a lot. Yeah, thanks, Jen. And now let's go over to Jeanette's. Hi, Jeanette. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I have two questions. I planted some tea roses this summer, and I was wondering how to take care of them now that the weather is changing. And also, I was wondering about some large urns that I put plants in during the summer. Um, Do I need to remove the potting mix from those so they won't crack in the winter? No, you don't have to worry about it. As long as it's potting mix, you don't have to worry about that at all. And because it's well-drained and they have drainage holes and any kind of the water, so that's not a, you know, that's not a problem. And for a long time, people say, well, you should get rid of that potting mix because blah, blah, blah. Now, if any of the plants that you had in these pots did have a disease or something, yes, then that potting mix should be discarded. But I would just, I've had the same potting mix in some of my pots for a long time. Now, I mix in some new stuff every spring when I replant after the, the spring flowering bulbs have finished. But, uh, no, there's no reason to take it out for the sake of the pots. Then and even though it's a concrete pot that won't crack in the winter? No. Okay. I mean, I guess potentially it could, but uh, 
you know, I mean, a concrete pot's pretty heavy, so you can't be moving around too much. Mm-hmm. And then what was it? The other one was about their hybrid teas or grandifloras? Yeah, it's my tea roses. But basically, this is a time of year when we get close to Thanksgiving where you're going to cut them back down to about 15 to 18 inches and put about, uh, let's say, four to six inches of mulch over them. If you want a little bit more information, you can go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and just put, uh, you know, hybrid tea roses, and you'll get more information from, you know, that as well. Okay, thank you. Yep, but just cutting them back to about 15 inches and uh, mulching them for the wintertime is the main things you're going to be doing. Okay, thank you. Sure. And now let's go to Gloria's yard. Hi, Gloria. Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking my questions. I have two. Um, Again, on the hydrangeas. I tried to uh, prune them because I thought they were uh, blooming on old wood, but now what I have are blooms that are sunken deep into the plant and then some on top, and the leaves are extremely large. It's all out of kilter. So how do I bring it back to uh, regular healthy shape? Uh, Basically, why not just enjoy it as it looks? I mean, is that all that horrible? I mean, we well, have no, these kind of the catalogs. blossoms are hidden. Some of the blossoms are hidden. You, you, you have to walk over to the plant to find them. Right. You can't see them from a distance. Well, I mean, uh, that's unfortunate, but still, it's, you know, it's a real treat to see them. But if I was going to do anything at all, the ones that are way down inside the plant, that's the ones I would probably cut out and leave the ones that are the larger exterior stems. I would leave those. Okay. And when do you do that? Now or uh, do it in the spring? So now are these have these are they actively blooming right now or have they bloomed in the springtime? They seem to be blooming in the spring and the summer. They just keep blooming. Now they're they're coming to dormant, but right. they're always blooming. <laughs> <laughs> so well what I do is just to find out as maybe prune some of them basically now going into wintertime. Let's say you got 10 stems coming up, cut about three of them off, then you know just watch those and see what happens next year as far as bloom-wise. Okay. And then leave the other ones alone and see what happens to those and make the, de- you know, make the decision on this particular variety, whatever it is you have, when's the best time to be doing the pruning. And the leaves are getting a little pale. They're not the vibrant green that they were. Does that mean they need a particular type of fertilizer? Yeah, probably either that or, you know, you can get a soil test on it. I don't know how many you have or if it's in a bed, but uh, generally the hydrangeas like an acidic soil. And uh, if you're fertilizing them, you should use a fertilizer for acid-loving plants. And if you just want to add something to soil to change the pH, then you want to get iron sulfate. The sulfur changes the pH of the soil, and then the iron basically turns the leaves back into the darker green. And you do that in the summer or in the spring? Yes, right. Okay. And then a question on azaleas. There's a huge azalea bush, um, several, about 10 in a row. Um, In the center, they're getting very pale looking, and there's a lot of wood showing. They do continue to bloom in that area, but I was wondering if I could give it something to fortify it and bring it back to the deep green color. Uh, Again, that's going to be the iron sulfate. Iron sulfate. Right. 
right. Very good. Thank you very much. Yeah. If they're pale green, that just indicates that the you know the soil is getting too alkaline. So more than likely, they're along a foundation of a house or a driveway or a sidewalk yeah. or something like that. And that yeah. alkalinity is coming out of the concrete. Okay. And is there a particular brand or did I just ask for something for acid-loving plants? Yeah. No, there's not. I mean, there's plenty of different brands and, you know, it's personal choice as much as anything. Okay. All right. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. And back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Love sure. Show. Hey, um, a question about my fescue law. July of 20, I noticed that I started getting these brown patches in my lawn. Not a lot, just a, you know, a few here and there, not real big. And I was thinking, well, maybe it's some type of fungus. I didn't do much with it. Spring came around this year, and everything looked fine. You know, green grew back and everything. And then I'll be darned, July again of this year, I started getting those brown patches, more of them. Are, and um, I'm thinking, well, you know, I read something about maybe armyworms. So I got a couple bags of diametaceous earth, and I spread it over the lawn and watered it in. And um, But I'm not real sure if that's going to do the job. I didn't see any worms, and I kind of dug around a little bit. But I was just wondering if... Any ideas on what that might be and what I can do for it? Well, it could be heat stress. You don't have a dog, do you? No, don't have a dog. Okay, so basically, it could, I mean, fescues just don't like the heat of the summertime. So individual spots or patches, for whatever reason why you know that problem is happening there. But if, the let's say, the quantity uh, you know, has really increased, that kind of indicates that it may be fungus. Because fungus can be spread by just your, your mower, even if you bag your clippings, by walking on it or anything else. So it can get on the bottom of shoes, on mower blades, and it can be spread around that way. So what I'd do is I wouldn't necessarily rush out and try to do something immediately. I would wait until next year and then dig up a plot of about a you know, one-foot square and with a bad spot in it. And take it, you know, you want to cut it like a to the depth of a piece of sod. So only about, you know, two inches or one and a half inches or so of soil with the grass that has the spot in it. And take it to your favorite garden center and let them take a look at it. Okay. Well, I appreciate the tip. It was just more annoying than every, anything. And like I said, it grew back this year. And um, and then I'll be darned if it didn't happen again this summer and more of them. So. Right. I, I did this fall and I overseeded, so hopefully that'll help a little bit, but uh, I'll take your advice. I appreciate it very yeah, much. And also, if you ever want to, to, to think or to look and see before you dig up the piece, I still advise you to do that. Just get down with a magnifying glass on your hands and knees and look at that transition zone where the brown stuff transitions to the green and see if there's any like foggy, fuzzy stuff on the grass blades at that transition point because that could indicate it's a fungus as well. Okay, great idea. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Sure. And Craig, could you do it kind of quick? Yeah, you bet. I've got a question. Maybe you can carry it over to the next segment. I heard you talking about doing your bulbs and planters, and I've always strayed against doing bulbs because I don't like to have to deal with the dying back leaves. 
could you maybe expand on that a little bit after the next segment? Sure. I can, you know, I, I can even do it now. I mean, basically, okay. I grow them in pots because I just like the versatility. And the, I started originally doing that when uh, we lived in Soulard. We didn't have a yard. We only had a courtyard. So I thought, I wanted to have some spring bulbs, so I started growing them in pots. Now, that's like, you know, thir- basically 30 years ago when I started this. And since then, I've just been going, doing it every year where I you know, use potting mix. I have larger pots. Now, this year, I decided to experiment a little bit with a couple smaller pots. These pots are only about, uh, about 12 inches across. And what I planted in them is a traditional type hyacinth, which is a, basically a spring flowering bulb you think of New Orleans. Sure, very, very fragrant. And, uh, yeah, very fragrant. So I wanted to try some in smaller pots. But most of the tulips and daffodils and stuff that I've grown in pots are in larger pots. And then it just makes it very easy. I don't really save those bulbs for the following years. I just kind of put them in the yard waste dumpsters, which the city has, and then they get composted and then, you know, redone that way. Now, a couple times there's been a few things that I've really liked I say daffodil-wise, some unusual ones that I've gotten from. Right. And, uh, you know, I have planted those into the yard. But uh, that's pretty much all I do is I, you know, from the inside of the pot, I start doing a circle of them and about uh, two to three inches from the inside of the pot. And that way that will, you know, act as a buffer. And I just leave them sit on, you know, on the patio and, you know, various places where I just have them in the landscape. So when you, when you do that, is it too late to start that now? No, you can do it now. I mean, it's okay. Getting, yeah, because I have the tons end of, of it. Yeah, and, I have tons of big clay pots that I use. I, I probably have fifty big pots uh, on watering system and feeding system. So all year they're just taking care of themselves. But I don't like the beds to be scattered with the remnants of uh, tulips that right. don't ever seem to come back. Well, Craig, we got to run, but thanks a lot. Right. It sounds good. All right, thanks for your help. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the tip of the trial hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Don's hanging on. Thanks for hanging on, Don, but we'll get to you just in a couple minutes. But, uh, Mr. Kelly, yes. you're a Japanese sweet potato expert? Well, I wouldn't say an expert. I'm a fan. Are you? Yes. Uh, Sue called and said, they're talking about it, and, <laughs> and he's never had it. And I said, well, okay, I'll go tell them to get some. They are so good. And uh, you, we put butter on them, which, you know, regular sweet potatoes, we don't put anything on. Really? Sue sometimes will put some, she has little nut packs, like that have nuts and things in them, you know, and uh-huh. she'll put those on there. I've had chili on them before. That's really good. Chili? You mean chili, chili on sweet chili? potatoes, yes. Or chili powder. Chili. Actual chili on a sweet potato. Whoa. But if you have a Japanese sweet potato and you put butter on it, it's like candy. Really? Oh, my goodness. It's so good. I always save my favorite thing on the plate for the last bite. And when we have Japanese sweet potatoes, it's the last bite. (laughs) It's like dessert. So good. So I highly, highly recommend it. Oh, really? Yes. So, yeah, we saw them at Fresh Time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, there was a big pile of them there. And I thought... Whoa, hmm, wonder what that tastes like. So now I know. Yes, they are very, very good. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks for your You're expertise. You're welcome. Enjoy. <laughs> yep. Yes, folks, 
And thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all arounds, so annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered to you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He produces, like always, he answers the phone as well. So when you call, he just needs to hear your first name. He doesn't need to know the question or anything else because uh, you're going to give me the question and he can't do anything. He doesn't put it into the computer screen or anything at all. Anyway, I spend my time during the week and on weekends, too, uh, doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. That's where my email address and phone number. Also, a lot of people use, uh, you know, the walk and talk they give as a gift for, uh, you know, somebody for their birthday or for whatever it happens to be. So uh, I do have gift certificates. I would email you with the name of the person that you're giving them to from you, and I'd email them to you, and then you could give them, print them out and then give them to the person you want to give them to. But anyway... What I do is on the walk and talk, I share 40-plus years of experience. And it looks at design, plant maintenance, care, ups and downs, and all arounds. And the tip of the trial is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. It's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. And the tip of the trial goes out to all, all the listeners of, you know, the Garden Hotline. I greatly appreciate all the years that you've supported me. And uh, I can't, uh, you know, this is really kind of a sentimental time of year for all of us. But, it, you know, it, I'm just really proud that I've been able to been, be here and share with you and you share with me. I've learned a lot from the listeners and uh, it's just been great fun. So a tip of the trial goes out to all you. And I greatly appreciate you again having me on your show as I always say, if you were not there, I would not be here. So, in essence, that's kind of the whole story. So, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over to Don's yard. Hi, Don. Hi there, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, every year, um, you know, this, this time of the year, I typically buy a small poinsettia plant, and it, and it does well. And then by February, March, it just kind of gives up, <laughs> and that's it. But this past year, this, this poinsettia stayed healthy. It was producing new leaves and shoots and, and, and stems and such, and it was looking really well. It held all year long. It's a great-looking plant. So my wife and I were looking at how do we get the leaves turned red. And so about two months ago, she, she's been looking at that. We started covering it at night. At about 12 to 14 hours, she puts a pot over it every night and, uh, and covers it up. Right. I, it still looks healthy. But it's, I'm not seeing the leaves turn red. Is, is there a trick or something we need to do, or, or is, are we just uh, fooling ourselves and just should enjoy the green plant? <laughs> Probably just enjoy the green plant, but it is a little difficult, so it's not an automatic thing. But you're doing everything right, so I'm assuming that once you take the pot off in the morning, that you that it's in front of a nice sunny window. Yes. Okay. Yes. So you're do, I mean you're doing everything possible that would make the you know the bracts of the the foliage. You know, turn color, so you could play around with it a little bit more and see what happens. But be, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to duplicate poinsettias are from South Mexico, and so in that part of the world, 
they, their days are about split in half, 12 hours of sunlight, 12 hours of dark this time of year. And that's what we try to do is duplicate that at your home. Uh, with uh, So maybe cut it back you know, to just 12 hours with a pot over the top of it and see if that makes any kind of difference. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Appreciate that. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah, if you've had it really healthy and, and viable, my my mother did. She wasn't really much of a plant person, but some ways I thought I don't can't remember who gave her the poinsettia, but she was able to actually have it happen, you know, for years and years and years. So that was really great. I was, you know, she was very happy with that. And let's try to get another call or two in. Let's go over to Donna's yard. Hi, Donna. Hi, Mike. How Hi. are you? Very good. Hey, um, uh, my question is about an ornamental crab apple in my front yard. I've had it for lots of years. The last few years, I mean, it be- it's beautiful in the spring. It blooms. It's gorgeous. And then gradually it kind of dies a slow death throughout the year. The whole summer I'm raking up leaves. It almost loses all of them. In the fall, it starts coming back and the darn thing blooms again. <laughs> I had a tree guy tell me that he thought it was a fungus and I could spray it, but I have to spray it right before it blooms and then about a week later. I tried that this year and it really didn't work for me. I had the same scenario. So do, is this a goner? Do I just need to replace this tree? Well, you could probably leave this one because, you I mean, you are getting some production out of it and everything else. But some of the older varieties are much more prone to this. what's happening to yours. And so it is, a you know, it could be certainly a fungus-related thing, and it could just be genetics as much as anything. So like I said, some of the hybrids uh, are just, you know, they're weak to our weather and everything else, and that's what, that could be the indication. But when the leaves yeah. fall, are they spotted or are they just, are they green? Yes. So, no, yeah. they do have spots on them, so probably the whole fungus thing, I guess. Right, it's called cedar apple rust. And so no. basically... Probably what I would do, as opposed to you know the fl- worrying about the flowering, because they fly they flower before the leaves come out. Correct. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, so I would say just leave them alone while they're flowering, because sometimes the sprays can interrupt the flowering process. But when the foliage is about halfway out, that's when I do the first application of a fungicide. Go to your favorite garden center and tell them you have cedar apple rust, and let them recommend which one that they have would be the best for that. And then uh, two or three weeks later, spray it again, and maybe a third time, and see if you can stop this leaf drop. Yeah, maybe I can try one more year. The thing it is, the tree is big. Should I get a company to come out and spray it for me so that it gets the entire tree? I mean, that would be advisable for sure. Because it's a pretty good-sized one. Okay. And it, like I said, it's gorgeous in the spring, but the rest of the year it looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and okay. like I said, so if it's a big one, then it's been around a long time. It's an old hybrid, and uh, so consequently that's just part of the whole scene of it. Well, I might just enjoy it one more spring and, <laughs> and then go for something else. Yeah. Thank and, you so much. Sure. <laughs> and, you know, for something else that kind of gives you the same scenario as the uh, the crab apple think about the 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 service berry there's a tree type service berry it's native to missouri it blooms white flowers before the dogwood then it has small fruits on it and then the foliage on it turns bright red in the fall so that would be one to consider 
Okay, I'm going to write that down. Thank okay. you so much. Right. And so, yeah. Okay. There is a shrub type of service berry, and there's a tree form. Make sure you get the tree form. And we should probably take a break. Mike Miller, K and Walks Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Well, if you were listening last hour, I was talking about the sort of the history of the sweet potatoes and everything else. And you know the sweet potato vine, that one that has really colorful leaves, how easy they are to grow. Well, I mean, the real sweet potato is that easy to grow because a lot of times people that grow the ornamental sweet potatoes uh, for annuals, when the season's over, they s- start digging them up, and what? There's actually a you can. I wouldn't really eat that potato. It's probably not big enough to eat anyway. But that shows you how easy, if you wanted to kind of do a real wild, crazy mix of real sweet potatoes, vines, and then with the ornamental sweet potatoes, which are purple and you know yellow and different colors, you could really kind of have a neat combination. But again. Sweet potatoes, unbelievable, the history of that. There was a lot more history. I just you know, thought that was probably enough. Anyway, let's head over to Ron's yard. Hi, Ron. Uh, good morning, uh, Mike. Uh, I have a uh, maple tree. I guess it's about 22 years old. Uh, not quite sure what kind of maple it is. It gets those helicopters in the spring, and, and the leaves turn bright red in the in the fall before they drop. And... On raking leaves, I noticed some pieces of bark laying on the ground, and I looked up, and now this maple doesn't have one main trunk. It has, you know, uh, a lot of different leaders going up, and they're, they're a, oh, good six inches or more in diameter. And three or four of those I've seen, the, the bark has just come off of it, uh, in sections uh, six feet long or so, about halfway around each of the leaders. And I'm wondering if what if you know what in the heck could be going on. It, during the summer, it seemed like the tree was healthy. It, it was full with leaves and everything. But but the bark's just dropping off, and it's just bare wood. Uh, I think there's, isn't there like a circanium layer or something underneath there that's, I, I, that, that wouldn't promote, uh, is that, are those leaders going to die off or, or next year? Or? Well, if if there is no bark all the way around this, you know, this particular part of the trunk, then that basically is saying yes, it is going to be dead. Mm-hmm. So, they, as far as I can see, it looks like it goes the the bark that's coming off is about halfway around. Oh, so halfway, I you know, it's it's a little bit of a concern. But as you know, as trunks, regardless of the single trunk or multi trunks. As they increase in diameter, the older bark just gets sloughed off. But if you're seeing big pieces like that and it's halfway around, that's not a really good sign. So unfortunately, but there's really not too much you can do. Is, is it? Does it have anything to do with the age of the tree or anything? Well, 22 years is not very old. Yeah, and but it's yeah, it, it's I don't know it, and, and a couple of the limbs, the lower limbs that I can see. They actually are like splitting open. That might be a different problem, though. But uh, I'm kind of concerned of what's going to happen in the spring. Like you say, it has to be all the way around before the limb would be uh, dead. But I, I, I don't know why all of a sudden it, it all the, the sparks falling off. Right. I mean, it's it could be a lightning strike because that can certainly do it. But well, that's uh, what I I thought that originally too. But I I look for any kind of burnt indication. Uh, and it didn't see it, but the main trunk, 
that goes down to the ground. There's no nothing wrong with it. It looks good and healthy. Uh, nothing uh, loose with the bark there. So the, basically it goes up how many feet before it starts, you know, let's say splitting, the trunk starts splitting apart? I would say a good maybe uh, 20 feet. Oh, really? That high up? Yes. So, so I would say I wouldn't be overly concerned with it. But if you are, I would have a tree service come out and take a look just in case because it may be to the advantage of the ones that are, let's say, showing the damage. But what you were talking about is a cambium layer is the layer that translocates nutrients and moisture up to the to the leaves to make food. And the cambium layer is right underneath the bark. And if you're seeing heartwood and, the, and there's no bark there, then that's certain, certainly that section doesn't have the cambium layer. So, right, that's what I'm seeing is bare wood. Yeah, so that's not a good sign. But I'd have a tree service come out and take a look. All right, Mike. Thanks for your uh, information there. Sure, yeah. my pleasure. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, why it is, I mean, it could be if there's, you know, 20 feet up for the, you know, the trunk to start, st- you know, sending out, let's say, branches, big branches. That's not, uh, you know, that abnormal. I mean, that's really pretty much what normally would happen. And if the trunk all the way going down to the ground from, you know, from that point still looks healthy and everything else, it could be just, Let's say wind damage that twisted, you know, some of these, you know, branches and consequently causes splitting. But a tree service could take a better look at it than, you know, me just kind of taking a guess. Let's go now to Grady's. Hi, Grady. Good morning. But a tree service could take a better look at it than, you know, me just kind of. Turn yeah, turn down your radio. Hi, Grady. Yes. Go ahead, Mike. Yes, Mike. I'm out in Afton, and I have a tree in my backyard that I'm afraid of. It's 50 foot high and I want to have all the major limbs cut off of it and just leave a big 12 foot stump there. Now, I have seen someone do that in our area here. Uh, There's one that I admire over at 8820 Valcour in Afton. Is there a technique for that that is called I know I have to call a tree service that has a crane, but uh, what do you call that? What am I wanting to do? Uh, basically, you just want to have the tree taken out is what you're doing, and you're just leaving the trunk there. I mean, a lot of times or sometimes people do that, and then they get their chainsaw out, and then they carve the you know, the existing trunk into some kind of, let's say, wooden structure or whatever, sculpture. So I, I, I've, I've seen that here locally over at Grant's Farm. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, no, it's really nothing other than just telling the tree service you want the, you know, the tree taken off and you want the, the trunk left at about 12 feet or whatever height you want to. Yeah. And then, you, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's going to be expensive. I won't fool you, but still. Uh, well, I, I figure it's going to be just as expensive. As, uh, of course, now at least taking the whole thing out and then grinding the stump up and everything, that'd be a little more expensive. But right. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I want to. I want to leave that up. I even thought, well, hey, I might end up putting a, a Starlink or something like that up on top of that stump. Right. Exactly. It could and be used. You could hang stuff off of it and do all kinds of different stuff. I mean, you could, you know, turn it into you know part of your landscape. Yes, besides yes, being a tree. That's what it would be. Right. That's what it would be. So no, you should be fine. Okay, just call a tree 
service, give them some drawings, and have them come take it, give me a price on it. Yeah, they don't need to draw, have drawings or anything, but just make sure they're fully insured. Ah, whoever comes on the property, be fully insured. Right, because, I mean, don't just look at price. Make sure they're insured and everything else. Okay, I, I will do that. I have heard from someone that says that, uh, you know, taking trees out in, in like in, in a forestry business, that that's pretty expensive and it's uh, dangerous. It's dangerous work. Right, it is. There's no getting around it. So Yes. All right. Okay. Good luck. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have phone lines open, and let's head over to Mike's yard. Hi, Mike. Yes, uh, Mike? Yes. Okay, i uh, got a question, and I'm pretty sure the plant is a coleus. Isn't that the one with a lot of green leaves? Some of them get fairly big. Uh, well, it could be coleus. A lot of coleus have, you know, different color leaves, speckled, spotted, dark red. Yeah. So you, you... Okay, well, what I'm getting at, uh, this time of year, of course, they've all died back. Right. Could they be cut off now? Yeah, I mean they're they're not going to come back. So in other words, they're a tropical slash annual. So you might as well cut them off because they probably don't look all that good right now. No, they don't. But I just didn't know whether I should wait until spring. You know, oh no! Again, get them out of there now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not going to really make that much difference. So if they bother you, then cut them off. If they don't bother you, you can leave them. They're okay. going to be all yeah. righty. Thank you, Mike. Yep, my pleasure. And uh, yeah, the coleus. Uh, there's a few, th- you know, few of the tropical stuff, depending upon exposure and stuff like that, uh, that haven't really been damaged by the cold weather. That I, you know, when I've gone to people's yards and visited, but for the most part, they're pretty much cooked. And the things that are still looking pretty darn good are the mums. I mean, I'm really like shocked. I've I've had like five different, you know, five you know colors of mums. And the last one that I have is like a dark kind of maroon, and it still looks really good. Regardless of, you know, the cold, they are very tough. So let's head now over to Kathy's yard. Hi, Kathy. Hi. Good morning, Mike. How are you today? Very good. Well, the reason I was calling, I, I listen, I've been listening to your show quite a few years, and uh, every year uh, I hear people comment on what to do with their Christmas cactus or how to make them bloom. And since I grow those sort of at a professional level, I've been growing them for many years also, I'd like to mention something uh, that I hadn't heard before. Every year I say, I- I'm going to call in, but then I, I don't. <laughs> so <laughs> one of the, the things that uh, I recommend for Christmas cactus or either that I uh, want to mention is, is that the bloom is triggered by short days, just sort of like moms. Right. And so if you want to have um, a lot of uh, results toward the, uh, for the blooms of the season, you grow the bracts during the summer and springtime. You can get lots of bracts. Uh, any window is okay, uh, you know, north, south, west, or whatever you've got. 
And then when the, in September, depending on the location of your, um, your plant, right at the end of September, I should say, starting in October, uh, you will see the tiny buds form on the end of the plant. Mm-hmm. And at that time, uh, I think you recommended, you know, you get the plant food and, you know, the watering technique as you described earlier on in, uh, each year. And you will have uh, somewhat a large, beautiful uh, Christmas cactus full of bloom. So I've done many research projects to see, you know, what uh, and, you know, how, what the results are. I've, I've, you know, a, a lot of cases, I would say I did not do very well. But uh, on average, it's that short day time uh, which will, you know, trigger those blooms. Right. You're exactly right. So. That's basically it's trying to you're trying to duplicate or it's going to you know be triggered by the duplication of where it's native to. So it is tropical, you know, Central America and South Mexico and places like that. Yeah. So uh, I uh, heard some of your listeners say, "Well, this year, oh gosh, you know, it really bloomed, uh, you know, beautifully," or they hadn't seen it before. And I know in one case, uh, I had a um, someone who I worked with had a a large Christmas cactus on top of a shelf, and it just had grew back. It, it never really did anything. Well, right. he left and, and left it to me, and I moved it to an open north-facing window. <laughs> the next, I mean, that thing just boom! Oh my God, it was beautiful. So, uh, you know, if you're not getting the the uh, kind of blooms that you need, or it doesn't happen, you might just want to change the location. That sounds perfect. Well, thanks, Kathy. Greatly appreciate. All right, it. take care. Sure. Mm-hmm. Bye bye. And now let's head over to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Yeah, we cut back the uh, da- daisies and so forth about a month and a half ago, and now you got about a good foot tall of greenery and so forth. Can we just continue to cut that with the lower mower back to the you know ground level? Yeah, you can, or just leave it alone. It's not going to make much difference. It's going to get frozen anyway. So it's if okay. You... So n- n- no harm in cutting it all the way back and putting a little mulch over, make look 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 look. A little nicer. Yeah, no, nothing at all. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, I don't have any daisies, but I have a lot of uh, black-eyed Susans and purple coneflowers. I have more of those. And consequently, they actually will have, they don't have stems coming up, you know, new stems, except really short. And they are flowering, but uh, not a whole lot of them. But uh, they do pretty much, the foliage stays evergreen almost all the way in through the entire wintertime. So there'll be just a clump of leaves, you know, near the ground. So let's head now over to Larry's yard. Hi, Larry. Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, next spring, I'm uh, considering planting some black-eyed Susans in a black kettle pot. But this, uh, this pot doesn't, uh, I say pot, it's a black kettle. It doesn't have any drainage holes. Ooh. Uh, do you think it'd work out or not? No, I think they'll drown unless you just get very lucky as far as, because they need the moisture, you know, for robust growth and everything else. But if he, if it gets too wet down in there, then the root system, which is, I mean, they're going to, I don't know how big the kettle is, but, you know, it, the root system is going to advance down in there and they're, you know, it's, the chances of it not surviving because of basically drowning is yeah, not it's, so good. it's it's about it's about twenty one inches deep. I am. It's 
It's an iron kettle, and uh, I was wondering as far as uh, putting sand or rocks in the bottom for drainage, would, would that solve the problem? Yeah, I would. that's just what I was going to say. If you filled about the bottom half of it up with, uh, you know, either pea gravel or something like that, and just be careful and not do the overwatering or, you know, I mean, you're not going to necessarily overwater because you're going to be careful. But if we have those drenching rains— and uh, you'll you'll start to see the soil, you know, the potting mix will get real mushy and spongy, and to the touch and visually, you're going to be able to see it. Then you might have to pull it out. But uh, yeah, with the bottom half of it, with rock or pea gravel or whatever you happen to put in there, I think you're fine. Make sure that you use a don't use any kind of limestone or chat rock or anything like that. You don't want that really alkalinity in there. But uh, okay, okay, thank try. you for your opinion. Sure, my pleasure. And I've got, we've got phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go over to Diane's. Hi, Diane. Hi there. Hi. I have a crepe myrtle that is, uh, over the last several years, has been sending out lots of new plants. And they're gorgeous, but <laughs> I don't need and I, I don't have enough space for all of the plants that it's producing. I'm wondering, will it hurt the main plant if I dig out those those shoots that are coming up? Well, I mean, you can dig them out if you want to. You dig them out and throw them away. Is that what you're going to do? Yeah, yeah. Or you can basically just, you know, chop them off at ground level. Because it's still, you know, if you dig them out, you just have to be worried and concerned that you're going to damage the root system on the main part that you're going to leave in place. So That's I would right. say you're better off to, you know, to just prune them off and throw them away that way as opposed to trying to dig them. But they so just like I, cut them off at the at the ground level, yeah, and that exactly. will keep them. From, will that keep them from coming back next year, though? Well, at that particular spot, yes. But they are colonizers, and so. That's what they do is just they migrate and send up new stems. That's just in their genetics. It's kind of like my curly hair. I mean, I could straighten it, but it's not going to last forever. It's going to get back to curly again, and they're going to continue to put up stems, you know, coming up off the ground, off slash, off the root system, regardless if there's been other ones that you've cut off, regardless if you've dug them out or anything else. Okay. Interesting. Okay, because I was wanting to, like, maybe plant bulbs or something in that space, and I thought, well, how do I get rid of those? Yeah, so, that's, okay. I would probably, mm-hmm. too, that's a little bit too close. But, uh, you know, I've, if you don't want the bulbs, if you don't care they only last for one or two years, you're fine doing it. But uh, for long-term bulbs, I wouldn't do it close to any kind of shrubbery. Okay. Okay, very good. Thanks, and I, I enjoy your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. Yeah, that sucker growth coming off the root system you know, there are certain shrubs that do that, and there's other ones that don't. And, I mean, it's just a genetic-type thing. And let's go now over to Jones. Hi, Joan. Good morning. Hi. I have a—I was given a uh, large planter uh, with a bunch of uh, different um, plants in it, and there's a cabbage rose in it. Is that going to bloom this year, do you uh. think? I don't know how to take care of it. <laughs> I think they're beautiful, but I don't know how to take care of it. Yeah, this was a planter that was, you're talking about a, is that a helleborus? Is that what you're talking about? A cabbage, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Uh, cabbage rose, I don't know. You know, it's kind of hard for me to figure out what that is just from that name. So, uh-huh. is it, well, 
that's all I. That's what they told me it was okay. was the cabbage rose, and I have seen them. They, they bloom. They get beautiful flower on it. But I, like I said, it's it's. Uh, I was hesitant about buying one myself because I said, "Well, I'm afraid the deer will eat it." Oh yeah, it's cabbage; they'll eat it. But I said, well, "It's sitting in a huge platter, and I saw it by patio table. I can't lift it, so it's still sitting out there. I've been covering it every night with, uh, you know, uh, something to keep it from freezing." Right. But uh, I don't know, you know, I don't know how to take care of it otherwise. Yeah, you know, other than that, you know. I- the chances of it's so somebody just gave you a pot that had this in it. Yes. Okay. And so consequently, I would maybe contact them and find out because maybe sitting up in the open like that, even if you're covering it, it may not be able to survive, you know, with that kind of exposure on the well, ground. I know I was down in Kimswick one time and they had uh, cabbage roses that were blooming in the snow. They were beautiful. Right. But so, I was just wondering, you know, how to how to take care of it. Should I take it out of that pot and put it in another pot or what? I uh, Definitely not. I mean, this time of year you wouldn't want to do it. And when a lot of times people, you know, transplant into a bigger pot or something, and it really is to the detriment of the actual plant. So I wouldn't fool with doing that. i just leave it alone because I'm uh-huh. assuming well, they had it in this pot for a while and they've had good success with it. So I would yeah, just kind of— well, I know it's been in there since the 30th of September because that's when I got it. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that's that's not a whole lot of time. But uh, uh-uh. hopefully it got itself, you know, the root system established enough to be able to survive our winter time. Uh-huh. Well, someone will be over today, and I'm going to ask them if they could carry it down to the basement for me. But, you know, I didn't know whether it whether was an outdoor plant or whether it's an indoor plant. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think they're probably, you know, you know, if I'm thinking of the plant that maybe I'm not, you know, maybe it isn't a hellebores. But uh, anyway, I would say just leave it out. I don't know if you need to bring it inside. But if you want to, if you're going to bring it inside, make sure that you put it in front of a window so there's going to be some light. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's head over to D's yard. Hi, D. Hello. How are you, Mike? Good. I have a question about um, um, last year I bought a mum and put it in the ground and it bloomed and it was very, just about regular size. And this year, I don't know what happened to it, but it's gone wild. It's about two and a half to three feet wide. And then it split in the middle because it was so full of blooms. Now, do I need to cut all those off or just leave them go or what should I do with it? Basically, with the mums, you want to leave all that above-ground growth there because it helps protect the crown. So, in other words, that's where the root system and the leaves and stems meet. And mm-hmm. by staying there through the wintertime, that's just a, you know somewhat of a protection. Now, if you don't want it to get that tall, all of them that we initially see, you know, they look like small, round mushroom caps. But that's because the production nurseries and everything else have been pinching them back routinely and regularly, and you can do that um, yourself. So in the well, springtime— It's not only tall, but it's like three feet wide. Yeah. so It's, it's huge. I've, I've never had one get that big before. Yeah, but, I mean, if you it, to, I mean, if you do pinch it back, it will help control the width, unless you have that many stems coming up out of the ground. So I would look at it pretty close— and make sure that there's some little green leaves right at ground level because that indicates it's ready to be able to come back for next year. And okay. then once it starts growing and gets about 
uh, four to five inches high, pinch about an inch off, and then do a whole series of pinching back like that, okay. and that'll well, know, help control. The blooms control. around the, uh, the, the bottom of the plant are still purple and beautiful, and at the top, you know, they've kind of died off. Right. So could I take those off or just leave those on? I would say leave everything until we come out of wintertime because it all offers a little bit of protection for, the, you know, okay. winter hardiness. Okay, and I have one other question. Okay. I have a yucca plant, and I guess the yucca plant had babies. <laughs> I have about 15 new growths that are coming out, you know, around the main plant. Right. Do I just leave them there, or can I take them out and repot them somewhere else? Well, I, are these in the ground? You're talking about the hardy yucca? Um, well, it actually was, but it's in a pot. I, I had it in a pot. Okay. Yeah, the, I mean, it's just like the lady with the cray myrtle. That sucker growth, that's just what a yucca does. And what it usually does is when it starts putting out that you know, growth around the bottom of it, then the mother mm-hmm. plant is going to die off, you know, not immediately, but, uh, you know. Eventually. Yes, right. Yeah. And so. Okay, so just leave it alone and. It's in a pot, but it's not in a great big pot because when when I first got it, you know, it wasn't that big. But now with all these other little plants around it, is that going to choke out the main plant? Not necessarily. It's just, uh, again, once they start putting that sucker growth, that just, you know, sort of says, you know, my life is pretty much over, but I want to, you know, keep my genetics going, my family going. And that's why it puts out the sucker growth around the base of it. So just leave it go and don't mess with it. Yeah, I mean you can make it a you know big trouble, but once the center, if the center plant does die off, then you can pull the whole thing out, you know, chop it up into pieces with the, mm-hmm. all the side growth, and then just throw the center thing away as it, if it is dead. Oh. Okay, okay, sounds good. Great. Well, thank you so much for your information and sure. have a nice holiday. Yes, you you too, and I want to wish everybody a great Thanksgiving. You know, whether regardless of what you're doing, Thanksgiving is a really kind of a neat time of year. It's almost jumped over. You know, we go from Halloween all the way to Christmas, and Thanksgiving just happens to be there. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.